The following program, Chicago's Weekend Wake-Up Call, is sponsored by the Digital Wellness Center and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio Company or its management. There it is, our wonderful wake-up music. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Digital Wellness with Dr. Mary. Today, we are discussing stress in a post-COVID world. And ladies and gentlemen, we are definitely stressed. We have a special guest joining us today. And uh, Dr. Caballero, I'm probably going to say your name incorrectly, so I'd appreciate you jumping in and correcting me because (laughs) I hate saying people's names incorrectly. So... Here we go. I've practiced. I've done my best. But if you would like to say it, please do, because it's a beautiful name, and I don't want to partially ruin it. Yeah, my name is Dr. Limari Caballero Quiñones, but you can say Dr. Caballero is fine. Okay, I've got it. That's wonderful. And uh, unfortunately, my uh, associate producer, Richardson Amarty, will not be joining us today, Dr. Caballero, because he has a very important basketball game. So we gave him the day off on this holiday Saturday. Um, but he was very excited, and he and I were both practicing your name before he found out the playoff game started at 8 a.m. <laughs> so, um, my cousin uh, is a priest in Mexico, and I reached out to him, but he hasn't had a chance to get back to me yet. So, um, I, have, you know, I was like, darn it all, how much fun is this? So, Dr. Caballero, what... A resume. You are a bilingual licensed clinical psychologist, an advocate for mental health awareness and access to care in the Hispanic community. You were one of the 50 under 50 award winners at Diversity MBA. Believe it or not, I was once one too. What a wonderful organization. (laughs) And you bring over a decade of experience in integrated behavioral health to our discussion. I am so grateful you got up early this morning to have this discussion with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Listeners, your engagement on this incredibly important topic, we're going to be talking about you, your stress, your family's stress, and we're also going to delve into your children's stress. A report just came out yesterday uh, from Hamilton, Ontario Health Sciences, I think, that said keeping kids away from school was not a good decision. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and the outcome we're seeing. So feel free to share your thoughts and questions by texting or calling our dedicated line at 773 773- 763-9278. And this is such an important discussion. Let's just dive right into it with Dr. Caballero. And thank you already. Some of you after my newsletter on LinkedIn texted your stories yesterday, which is fantastic. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about them, especially the overwhelming number of stories we got on what we're now calling digital parenting. So Dr. Caballero, I'm going to start with the first story from our listener. And they talk about being overwhelmed by social media. So I'll, I'll just, I'm going to 
put the story briefly because it was a much longer story, but I'm going to use their words. And that listener shared how they constantly feel overwhelmed by the pressure to keep up with social media. Uh, They find themselves scrolling endlessly, comparing their lives to the curated highlights of everybody else, which leaves them feeling inadequate and anxious. Now, this person went on to say they were a younger parent. They've grown up on Facebook. And, you know, how can individuals like this navigate the pressures of social media and cultivate a healthier relationship with online platforms? Because as we've discussed and as I discuss in my new book, We forced people to use these platforms during COVID to converse with each other. And I believe it's hurting their mental health. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, this question can have many layers, right? I I think it is very important to reflect over um, what we are consuming, right, and how much time we are spending um, using online platforms. Um, When the pandemic happens, we just were using online platform all day on, right, for work, after work, and definitely that have a lot of impact in our health. Um, it is very important also to recognize that not everything that we see in social media is necessarily real, right? So sometimes we have that pressure that we need to fit in, that we need to be like other people, that, that we are not in the same level, or we start to compare ourselves with others. So I think it is very important to also recognize the impact of that and basically cultivate, cultivating healthier relationship with online platforms with depends on the type of interaction that I want to maintain and and the time that I want to spend um, doing that. So we can definitely foster a healthier um, relationship with um, social or online platforms when we basically try to promote kindness um, or empathy towards others, but also toward, towards ourselves. Um, I think it is very important to also set boundaries and to avoid conflicts or to try to maintain um, difficult situations far from, from additional to the stress that we have day by day. You know, I totally 100% agree with you. But what I've seen is that it's become, and I talk about this, I just finished a book called Digital Addiction, What Is It? And I talk about my brother and I's journey into digital addiction. It's not at all an academic book like my last book, but it is based in science. And one of the things that we see time and time again, like this listener, she cannot break this habit. And Mm -hmm. we know... That 80, I I believe the research came from, I want to say Ipsos or someone else like that, a very well, a well-established firm, a well-respected firm, that 82% of adults can't put down their phones. Mm -hmm. Some of us glance at our phones up to 2,100 times a day. How do we stop that? I mean, the thing I identified in my book is if this was any other type of addiction, we'd have like 12-step groups. We'd have all kinds of things for people. But because Mm -hmm. this just started in 2007 with the iPhone, like how do we break this cycle of constantly looking at it and then, of course, comparing ourselves? Like some people are even comparing their dogs to the dogs they see on oh. social media. 
Like, what? Your dog is perfect. I know your dog mm-hmm. is perfect because it's a dog. So what do you think? How can we break this cycle of comparison? Yeah, I think, as you said, um, we are growing in this technology world, right? And these new generations are struggling even more because this is the thing that they know and they don't know how to detach from it. But I think when we are talking about breaking the cycle of comparison, it is very important to, to as I said before, recognize that not everything that we see in social media, it is yes. necessarily real, right? Um, sometimes we can see these beautiful pictures, these happy pictures or happy moments, but we don't know what is happening after that. We don't know um, what is behind the happy pictures, right? We don't know what is really happening in the life of these people. So sometimes when we compare ourselves with others, we are forgetting that it's a whole story behind those pictures of those videos. Um, It is very important to also take breaks. Um, healthy breaks, right? Like if I feel like this is affecting me, this is a good timing to maybe do something else or going outside or going for a walk or talk with somebody. Um, also reflecting off critically in, in what is the type of content that I'm exposing myself, right? What I'm receiving, what I'm looking for and trying to be mindful mm-hmm. about that information or, or, you know, the time that you need to be out because it's actually affecting you. A hundred percent. And listeners, if you have any ideas, please feel free to text us at 773-763-9278 or call. We'd love to hear how you're coping. One of the ways that my company uh, helps people cope, and we started this during COVID, is my research has been a lot uh, in the last five years in micro breaks. And so if you go to mystride.co, C-O, as in company, co, um, we created an idea of because people can't get off their phones, micro breaks that clear the prefrontal cortex. The idea is um, what we found in our research, and I'd be interested to discuss this with you, is when people get stressed on social media, on digital, like some people spend up to 14 hours a day online, 14 hours, and they're not walking, as you just identified, which I personally love. I love to go for a run. I did not go for a run this morning because it's freezing cold outside. However, I'll probably go for a run later. But, um, you know, the specific tools we created are teeny tiny micro breaks and they're for free because we've made this commitment as I talked about in our, my newsletter on LinkedIn is for, for mental health. We saw people just starting to spiral down into depression and almost self-loathing. Um, so I'd love to play an example for you and Devin will play it for about 30 seconds. How about, how about we play it for a minute, Devin? And Dr. Caballero, if you can talk to us about how even using your phone or, you know, this platform could help someone manage their social media, but also manage their stress. Devin, go ahead. Let's play the relaxing binaural beat.
Devin, thank you so much. For our listeners that don't understand what you just heard, it's called a binaural beat. Your left ear and your right ear each hear different beats. And the third beat your brain creates is the binaural beat, and it's designed to relax you. Dr. Caballero, what do you think about these? What do you think about this idea of using your phone for good? Yeah, I think that is a wonderful way to to use technology in, in a way that going to be helpful instead to be detrimental for our health, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. as always, I said, setting very clear boundaries of the time that we're going to be using it. But um, I love the use of binaural um, beats. Um, I think they are very, very useful and to relax ourselves and also to calm down and slow down um, with, with the day by day and being in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, going in that line, it is important to understand that as, as we have phones and we have all this technology, technology sorry, we also have um, tools that we can use. For example, most of the smartphones have tools to manage screen time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, iPhones have this screen time app that helps you to monitor and control how much time you're spending in your phone. And also they have tools that can um, helping you set times to downtime, like schedule a time away from the screen or using um, light limits for the apps, certain apps. Like I don't want to use um, Facebook for more than two hours or something like that. You can set up that mm-hmm. and use this. Um, you can also um, do other basic stuff like signing off from social media time to time or turning off notifications, right, or changing your mode of the phone to um, do not disturb or to airplane. So it's other ways that we can also use the technology for good when we need to do other stuff or also to use as this app that you're mentioning to relaxing ourselves, to practice meditation, to practice um, relaxation skills right and and it's free like use i'm always very conscious Mm -hmm. of money and this idea that people are charging people to relax and that's why we created Mm -hmm. a free tool um one of the things i always see you know um is this new uh movement about self-care blah 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 Self-care is, you know, the way people talk about it is so expensive. The other thing I always see mm-hmm. are these, you know, I don't know about you, but I roll my eyes when I see these um, influencers or these movie stars or these singers who say, oh, I need a break from social media. I'm gone. And then they go. And to me, that's just creating more mystery and getting them talked about. It's like um, what the movie studios used to do with people is, oh, we're pulling them away. Um, what, like when people take breaks, and I love when you talk about self-empathy versus self-care. Is there um, any rule that you really tell your patients about self-empathy? Basically, it is more about being compassionate with ourselves, right? I love that. It is. Yeah. It is. It is very important to understand that not everyone is in the same pace, and we are not in a, in a same journey. We're enduring different type of situations, and doesn't mean that we are going, don't gonna get there, right? <laughs> but maybe yeah. we're gonna get there in a different 
time frame. And and I think being being compassionate with ourselves about that, be compassionate with ourselves on time with ourselves when we are not getting in the point that we want. And, and we start to compare ourselves with others, right? Because they have more or, or they have this. Um, so I think it is very important to be very self-conscious about that and and looking for those moments of kindness and self-compassion with ourselves and, and, and recognize that we are doing the best that we can. Um, and also we feel that that is very, very challenging, recognizing that we also have a support system, right? Sometimes friends, family, people that can help us to recognize um, the importance of self-compassion and 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 recognizing that that we are not the same, but we have a support system to to get through that. Love that. I, I love. I just really appreciate the term of self-compassion. Now, um, another listener, uh, and I don't know about you, but I am pretty sure we have all struggled with this issue. Express, um, express challenges in maintaining a healthy work-life balance due to the constant accessibility of technology. What's interesting is this person went on to talk about the fact that they work for a technology company and they find mm-hmm. themselves checking their work emails late into the night. They're constantly on their phone, except when they're cooking dinner. They always try and keep dinner free for their family when they're home. Uh, This person went on to talk about the fact that he travels a lot. Um, He finds that without, he's always on his phone, and he's concerned that this is really interfering with his ability to unwind and disconnect from job-related stress. how does constant digital connectivity contribute to stress? Like, what should we say to this person and the effects on our mental health? Sure. Um, I think it is important to recognize that constant digital connectivity contributes to neurological, psychological, and physical changes, right? And, and impact the way that we think, we rest, we eat, and even the way that we interact with others. Um Many people, as you mentioned before, can develop technological additions or codependence. And when we are just using technology or all day on just for work, but also in our day by day, we can create that dependence, right? We, we have this need of, of controllable urge to mm-hmm. constantly check in our devices or looking for that reinforcing behaviors um, that I need to see likes or, or you know, or, <laughs> or follows and things like that. And that is, is making changes in our brain, right? Because we are looking right. for that reinforcement. We are looking for that sensation of like by others. Um, so I think it is very important to understand that the time that we spend in technology um, and, and the type of things that we are consuming contribute for, for level of stress and can develop um, mental health conditions such as depression, anxiety, even suicidal ideation, um, sleep disturbances, um, and also contribute to our physical health, like in a bad way, right? Like people that do the move and they um, develop obesity, um, people that are spending all day long in the computer and they develop vision problems or hearing loss or digital eye strain. Um, it's also affecting our posture, right? Our neck strain, our back posture, and, uh, back pain headaches. 
So it's a lot of impact in our health, not just physical, but also mental, and also the perception of reality, right? When we start to forget that this is a virtual reality, it's not necessarily the, what is happening in this moment, in this timeline. Um, so I think it is um, basically important to consider how, how it's affecting all, how can it affect us in the future, and, and use that to to set clear boundaries and and breaks, as we mentioned before. I think this is incredibly important as we move into the digital age. Like we're we're about to move into the second decade of being online all the time. And mm-hmm. why I originally reached out to you is uh, the APA report. The APA report talked about, and you did an amazing post on this on LinkedIn, about COVID trauma recovery. Um, Those of Mm -hmm. you who are listening, um, if you have comments on the COVID trauma recovery that you're experiencing, again, text or call 773-763-9278. But Dr. Caballero, could you elaborate on the key findings of the APA report? regarding the lingering effects of collective COVID trauma, because I myself know that I experienced it. I know that many, many of my friends experienced it. What are you seeing? What did you see in the report? Yeah, so so basically the report of Stressing America survey into 2023 basically find out that our society's experience the psychological impact of collective trauma post-COVID-19, but also in combination with other stuff like global conflicts, racism, racial injustice, inflation, uh-huh. climate-related disaster, among others. Um, they find out that... Um, Longer-term stress sustained since the COVID-19 pandemic has a significant impact on well-being, and basically they saw an increase in chronic illnesses such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, arthritis among the um, ages 35 to 44, and they saw an increase from 2019 um, that was um, 48 percent, and in 2023 was a 58 percent. They also saw, um, they also find out that um, any highest increase in mental health diagnosis, such as depression and anxiety for the same age. Um, however, the highest report of mental health issues is for the age of 18 to 34. Um, they also, for me, it was very interesting to see that there, um, this survey also find out that we tend to downplay stress and how three in five adults doesn't talk about stress at all because they just prefer to bear the burden alone because they don't want to feel like, you know, people know about their situations or they don't feel comfortable talking about it because they feel ashamed um, or they just doesn't know how to look for help. They don't feel comfortable looking for therapy or talking with family members or friends about it. And that downplay of stress is having all the dangers of developing mental health issues or chronic illnesses because our body is keeping those score, right? So I think this is just a little bit of what they find out. It's a beautiful um, survey and report that you can read with more information if you want to know more, but it's a lot of information that um, help us to reflect over how this is affecting us right now. I think the thing that I took away from it um, and looking at the generational research is very interesting because the majority of our calls, the majority of the people that reach out to us online 
are 35 to 44. And the majority of people that look at solutions are 55 plus. So I thought that was quite interesting from our point of view, from the data, from our listeners and from our followers. But what's even Mm -hmm. more important to me is um, when we talk about the increase in stress, another report said that 80% of us from the APA are more stressed today than we have been at any other time. And my theory Mm -hmm. is that that's because of digital. Because we've had inflation. We've had all this stuff before. Like we've had everything before and humanity has dealt with it. It doesn't matter what age you are, you've dealt with it. But what we haven't dealt with is this digital world. I mean, uh, Marshall McLuhan, the famous Marshall McLuhan talked about uh, media from the standpoint of um, the media is the message. And uh, Dr. McLuhan's work, I think, is so important when we start looking at collective trauma, but collective trauma from a digital standpoint. And mm-hmm. as a therapist, you must have to work with people from the standpoint of um you know identifying it like people as you just said have to not downplay their stress we're we've taught people for years and years and years to not say you're stressed to say i'm fine i'm good i mean there's even books on lean in ignore the stress we have to unlearn that now um, then they have to, from what I, you know, from what you and I have talked about, and what you you've probably written about, and I know I've written about it, is get some data. Like, look at how stress is affecting your life. Look at specifically how long you're online. And I want to to talk a little bit about people gaming, people gambling, people doing everything online, not just social media. I mean, social media is definitely a detriment, and we can talk about that in a minute. But then talk to others is what I heard you say as part of self-care, self-empathy, and then seek help. How do you encourage people to seek help? Is there strategies um, in family members who can see a change in someone that you could recommend? Is there strategies for people to start to seek help and come over that stigma, as you said, of trauma? Yeah, I think I think it is very important to 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 recognize, as you said, like the lingerings of, of the impact of what we are consuming, not just in social media, but also in the day-by-day use of technology and, and the needs that we are having for buying. I'm always said that some people are getting this um, consumerism, right, um, stage of social media because it's so accessible in, in, in Internet, right, and that I just can buy things without moving or going any places. So I think it is important to, to start to recognize our behaviors and, and follow it is affecting us in all the areas like financially or socially and isolating myself more and, and talking with people more and spending more time alone. Um, also, how this is impacting me with my responsibilities, right? Um, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do every day when I'm just there, um, needing to be there and sit down on the computer or scrolling or looking things or buying things. So I think it is important to recognize, first of all, our behaviors and how it's impacting us and also 
if we feel that it is affecting us and we don't know how to look for help, important to look for that support system, as you mentioned, like family members, friends that maybe are not even changes in behaviors or they are changing, seeing this, this impact in my life. Um, obviously, we always encourage to look for um, professional help if you feel like you cannot handle this by yourself. Um, but it is important, the first step is, it is, it is helping to recognize how this is affecting you and and looking for help or, or talk with someone, which is one of the challenges that we find out that people do not recognize that they are having a problem with it because it's just part of their lives. Yeah. And I also find with partners, too, one partner doesn't want to say to the other partner, you know you've changed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's an important conversation to have because it's, you know, I, there's there's so much in what you just said that I'd like to unpack. Number one, get out and go buy your groceries. Don't order them online. As much as mm-hmm. I like Instacart and all the rest of it, you're paying an extra fee for that where you could walk to a neighborhood store or you could get on the bus and go to a store and go into a store. We've Social media isolates us. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads to the effects of trauma. But the other thing um, that you talked about was community support and advocate support. And we haven't, like, I'd like to talk to you about this. In the Hispanic community, um, do you see uh, a lot of resources available for people in terms of advocacy and community support for the effects of this trauma? Or um, is it just starting to come to the forefront? I, well, I can talk from my experience, right? I don't know in other states yeah. or in any other places, but I think where I am, we're trying to make sure that we acknowledge that. However, it's not a lot of information for the communities, right? And also we need information in their language that is also challenging um, because not everyone speaks Spanish, right, in the United yeah. States. So I think it is very important to recognize that, that people need more information and also information that uh, is easy to digest um, because it's different when we talk about um academic reasons, right? But talking something in as, as we said in Spanish and rice and beans, it, 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 it is important for the people to understand um, how it's affecting them. But definitely I think people are recognizing the impact of 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 being in technology to their lives. And mainly I work with, with pediatric populations, so I can see that a lot in the community, how the parents come to me very worried about how this is impacting their kids or how they don't stop being playing video games, how they are just looking in social media and confiding themselves with all the kids and all that stuff. So I think it's more recognizing, but I think they are needing skills to deal with it. So I think we need to do more about it. You know, let's just jump right on that because I had um, a quick call about um, about parenting in the digital age, and a listener shared their concerns about parenting in the digital age, particularly what you just identified, um, and it doesn't matter um, who you are. I don't know a parent who isn't worried about this. And we just saw this in the Senate hearings, the harm that social media can do. Um, like, So the listener said they're really concerned about their parenting 
um, in using the child using screen time, the interactions. They worry about the excessive use of device on their children's social skills, on their sleep patterns, on their overall well-being. And, you know, I beg your pardon, and we talk about this in my book because there is a situation where two parents, both who are physicians, didn't notice till almost too late their, how much time their teenager was spending online, on the social media, on, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say one social media over the other. It's, it's not important. Yeah. But they were feeling they realized and of course if you're two working parents it's hard because sometimes it's easier if you're exhausted and your child's quiet and they're on their phone you're like oh my gosh thank goodness like let's just put Mm -hmm. that out there too like what guidance are you going to offer for parents for navigating this challenge and managing their children's screen time and promoting healthy tech habits like i'm a bad mom i guess i just took away the phone I just like I'd had it. I just took away the phone. The phone was gone. There was no more phone. You could watch cable TV that was free. That's it. And I was done. I couldn't, I just, there was no, and, and I'm like, I'm, I'm supposed to know all these strategies, but I'd had it. The negative effect on my daughter was appalling. So what do you offer? Mm-hmm. That's probably not as harsh as mine. <laughs> Well, I think I think every family is different, right? And every family needs is different, and also going to depends on the at what level these these kids or teenagers are involved, right? We we can have um, I can even see this in very little kids that they are just in the phone and scrolling, and if you take the phone away, they just start to have a very bad tantrum, and they get aggressive and throw things, and they touch them. You know, it, it, we can see this even in very little kiddos. So I think gonna depends on where we are and what stage we have exposure and addition or needing to be connected. But first of you know, I think one of the things that we always um, encourage is making sure that we encourage unplugged um, plunge and unstructured playtime, right? Making sure that we are making um, those spaces for doing something different, going places, going for a hike, going for a walk, um, going to the park, and activity offering activities and options that don't not necessarily involve technology. Um, create also tech-free zones at home, you know, like or times such as during meal time. Um, so I remember some families that have this little basket, and they, everyone needs to put their phone there during that meal time. And in that sense, nobody is going to be scrolling while they are talking in the table. Um, so I think it is very important, obviously, to, to use the media for things that are helpful. And I know many of our kids can be using a lot of technology for homework or for studying, which is understandable, mm-hmm. but setting limits to also encourage using a book or using other resources in the community, maybe going to the library, maybe get together with somebody and work in groups. So I think it's kind of like looking into different ways to encourage the use of other resources, not just the technology, and also setting, again, very clear limits and boundaries at home, like set screen time limits for the family or for our kids. Sometimes we need to take phone up. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that if they are not really following rules, right? I have patterns that change internet passwords every night or they just change the the password when they feel like the kids are just connected. I have even parents that take off the cables from the video games because they don't want them to be connected at night when they're sleeping. So it's different ways 
that you can actually uh, manage this and going to vary for family per family and the needs that they have. But it is very important to set very clear limits and curfews with technology and because mm-hmm. we want to make sure that they have time to do other things, that they can discover boredom, they, they discover other things to do. Um, <laughs> And they also are involved in other things like sports, art, dancing that helps them to be busy and not just looking into the phone. I love that you said discover boredom. I think that's the most important part of growing up and it fosters Mm -hmm. creativity. The one thing that I know a lot of professors are seeing and um, that they've, they've discussed and I think... Um, one of them's coming on the show uh, to talk about the fact that our children aren't creative anymore. They can't solve a problem mm-hmm. without a phone. So mm-hmm. what are three steps or, or more or less that parents can use to foster open communication with their children at any age about digital usage. These kids have grown up with these digital phones. And I love that you talked about setting appropriate boundaries and, you know, that basket. We just used a drawer. We still do at our house. We use a different room. You know, you can't take the phone to bed. Everybody keeps the phone downstairs. Um, you know, what, what do you, what are three things that parents should talk about, but also let's just roll into what are the warning signs for parents? Yeah. So to the first question, I think it is very important to have an open and honest conversation about the importance of managed screen time with our kids. doesn't matter the age that they have. And also, discussing the potential risk, right, that we have mm-hmm. when we are using this excessively. Um, it is very, very important to offer them options. So instead to be just, uh, I'm going to use this anymore, what about if we came with options, right? Um, you're going to use this for one hour from this time to this time, so which hour do you want to use it, right? So you're giving them the right to choose, but still mm-hmm. you are setting limits, very clear limits. Um mm-hmm. In regard to the other question on the rest loss or warning signs that we need to be aware um, with our child is behavior such as isolation, that they don't want to go outside the room, they're spending more time in their phones or their computers, um, changes in their behavior, kids that never have behavioral issues and out of nowhere they start to be more defiant or having aggressive behaviors or mood changes, um, be more irritable or even more sad than usual, um, or with draw from social activities. Um, obviously, if we are talking about teenagers, A, we need to understand that also we have normal hormone changes and we can see a little bit of these behaviors too as a normal thing. But you're going to notice that it's something out of normal. It's something out of normal. It's not something that you are used to be, you know, in that kid. Um, you can also see an impact in daily activities at lower grades, uh, withdraw from school, um, withdraw from activities that they enjoy before, like sports, arts, um, violence in many cases, etc. That's kind of like some of the signs that you can kind of like see that, okay, something is, is not good here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So some red flags would be behavior changes, withdrawal, um, unwillingness to, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, it's so funny. I just watched this charming movie. This is, it's not at all academic or anything, but it was called The Family Plan. 
and uh, it's with Mark Wahlberg, of all people. Utterly charming movie. Apparently, he produced it as well. But what he ends up doing, he gets so fed up, is he throws the phones out of the car. I, I myself have, have been that parent. But the signs... <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. The signs... Um, were there about his one child playing too much. It was, it's anyway, it's a very funny, charming family story. But what is important is that the parent had time to actually review and, and see the changes in his life and his family's life without the phone. Do you um, ever recommend for people to have a dedicated hour that you don't have any phones. Like, for example, at breakfast time from 7 to 8, no phones. At dinner time from 6 to 7, no phones. And so that that becomes a habit? Or do you say that it should be more flexible so that in that hour, parents get a chance to actually start to think of the red flags, because parents, too, are suffering from too much time. I know that's a bit of a complicated question, but um, Mm -hmm. these red flags for working parents are really hard to see. So would an hour or two away from all of our phones together be helpful? Like in the family plan, they take a road trip. We all can't take a road trip. But what can we do? Yeah, definitely. I think it is important to to set... um, um, you know, rules at home that are going to work for you as a family. And I know it is hard when we are working patterns because sometimes we're just running into the dinner and the homework and the bathing and all that. Um, however, I think recognizing the time as a family that works for you, right? So maybe, as you mentioned, making sure that we are not having the phone during dinner time if we can make dinner together, right? Um, because some people cannot even do that. They are in different schedules. So it, it's also maybe making sure that we don't want to use um, phones one hour before bedtime or something like that, that oh, you can yeah. get together and maybe do something together, like watching a movie together or, I don't know, reading or doing a project together, even a puzzle together. So it's kind of like finding what works for each family, right, because it's going to depend on their schedules and the support that they have is going to be different maybe for a single mother versus a family that have two parents, right? So so also mm-hmm. can reconsider in that, like, it's not the same for every family, but definitely it's possible um, to explore options that are going to work for each family. For, I love that you acknowledge that, and I, and I forgot to, um, which is terrible, because my sister-in-law was a nurse and constantly worked night shifts, And so Mm -hmm. their family time was breakfast time. And uh, because obviously dinner time wouldn't work because she would be gone. So I Mm -hmm. think, um, again, looking at what suits your family and that in and of itself is a break for your brain. It's not something you can Mm -hmm. Google. It's not something you can see on Instagram. There's not an influencer. Mm -hmm. There probably is. What am I talking about? I I don't know. But, you know, influencers (laughs) make stuff up and and all of that sort of stuff. But let's (laughs) let's kind of look at this idea of um, what we, we talked about and 
how can all of us, because I love that you've been working with children. I, I really appreciate that the APA came out with this report and talked about, obviously, the post-COVID stress, how stressed we all are, but also the fact that we need to have communication about this stress. We need to have conversations. Let's talk about a plan on how listeners can advocate for a cultural shift towards a more mindful and intentional technology use. What we're seeing in Florida is this idea of children not being on social media until they're 16. It's a rule I never thought of, but it's one I'm actually beginning to agree with um, the more Mm -hmm. I hear about it, which normally I don't agree with things like this. So how can listeners themselves start to advocate for a total cultural shift? I feel that we have to protect children to a more mindful and intentional technology use, not just for children, but for parents, for single people, for anyone within their social circles and communities. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that... uh as we have been talking, recognizing that it's not like technology is totally bad, right? So recognizing that using what technology has benefits, but if if we use it in a limited way, right, if we recognize also the bad consequences of overusing, um, if we look into the rules of social media when you're going to create an account, you're supposed to be 18, <laughs> So yeah. we even do not understand why oh all designers yeah. have social media. <laughs> so we, we start for that, right? When you create an account, you are not supposed to have a social media before 18, but obviously they put in a wrong date of birth. So we need to be very mindful about that. I definitely <laughs> don't think kids need social media because we have so much access to different type of stuff that they cannot probably handle because they are not mentally ready. Um, and there's no way that we can stop that because when we scroll, they just pop up, right? The same thing with TikTok, yeah. the same thing with Instagram, Facebook, all this stuff. Um, so I think it's making sure that we are monitoring, which I know it's very hard, using resources and tools that helps to control what they're accessing. As I said, I don't think little kids need social media, but that is a very individual decision of each family um, but we are exposing them when we let them to have that because they are not mentally ready to receive all the images that we receive right or all these videos or all this stuff so if you want to let them then you need to have very clear conversations to process what they are receiving um, so basically also helping with um, digital literacy like making sure that we know where to look for reliable resources that we can use for media um, what programs we want to actually consume what accounts we actually want to follow um, because all that we could see or consume are going to have a long term impact in our stress in, in our mental health in our well-being um, and also how we can intentionally use um, the technology in a mindful way, right? And if I really needed to do homework or, or to do something related with work, then maybe set up a time to do that. And after that, a break to do something else not related with technology. Um, so it's kind of like a balance, trying to have a clear balance and and making sure that, that you are doing what works well for your family and for the health of your kids. 
I totally agree. Um, I think, though, the one thing I, I wish we could figure out how to do is definitely create a movement towards this intentionality mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. of the use of digital versus what we have now is almost the wild, wild west. We use it all the time, every time. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to our opening statement, which is on COVID. That's what we taught people to do. We literally said, live on your computer, live mm-hmm. on social media, live on your phones. And um, so yeah, it's going to take a lot to unlearn it. But mm-hmm. how can we, um, in your opinion, advocate community leaders? Like, I think this needs to be from the community up. I don't, I don't know that it's, it would cross a politician's mind because I'm sure that um, based on my experience in politics, there's a lot of lobbying going on that is trying to prevent a lot of this stuff. So how can we as community members, community leaders, parents, school board members begin to look at creating these cultural shifts? Like, do we really need our phones for homework or can we go and get information from a library that's free. We used to have computers in the family room where parents could see what children were doing. I know that's a long time ago. You probably don't remember it, but um, that, that used to be the way life, like people could observe what other people were doing. How can we get back uh, super quick? Cause we only have a couple more minutes. How can we get back to our social circles and conversations? Just a couple steps that you, you've seen successful in your practice? I think I don't have a right or wrong answer in regard to that. I think we're still looking, right? We're still looking yeah. the best way to work on this. Um, but I think each family needs to reflect over what works and what doesn't work for them. Um, but definitely, I agree with you that we need to create movements around this. We need to, to do more noise in with our politicians because sometimes they are paying attention to things that are not Necessarily, and then we're really paying attention to things that we need to pay attention, and also considering that it's not just the impact of overusing, but also the vicarious trauma that we are getting, like when we are consuming all these images, for example, what is happening right now in Gaza, and all the you know images from killed babies and and families, and the starvation, and all these images, how all these images can be getting to your kids, how these images can get into you and affecting you, your mental health. So it's how we can control what we are consuming and also how we can make sure that we do a balance to to take care of our mental health. Um, so it is very important to recognize that 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 we need to, to make more noise about this, that on the effects of it. The data is there. It's a lot of research already that all, all this is affecting us. So it's how we can use that data and create programs and create um, groups that can actually advocate um, for a better use. And also in incorporating education and other places because education is one of the places that many schools now just use the tablet for school. They don't need to even do use books anymore, right? So how we can have a balance between the use of technology and other stuff and I think this is a very ongoing and long conversation to have and keep looking for alternatives so maybe I don't have the right or wrong answer here. 
No, I think you do have the right answer. Like what you've just talked about is how can we raise our voice? And that's what we all need to start thinking about. How can we raise our voice? Um, I know for me, one of the choices I've made is I just watched the last five minutes of Lester um, Holt on NBC News because they always have a happy story. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm done with the news. I can't watch it anymore. It just causes me so much depression. But um, yeah. and maybe curating it by listening to radio. How's that for a plug? But um, mm-hmm. how, you know, on, on our final thoughts, I think, um What's one thing that people can take to prioritize their well-being and their children's well-being in the digital age? Like, I love that you said empathy. What else? Anything? As I said before, self-compassion and open conversations. I think if we we put this in the table, we're going to be able to find out um, good um, strategies to address the issues. Amazing. How can people connect with you as before I say goodbye? I love chatting sure. with you. I hope um, you come back. <laughs> sure. So people can look for me in LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram as Dr. Elimari Caballero. Um, and I want to be working with a new project that's going to be targeting um, migrant women um, from different parts of the world. And we're going to be working on how we find our tribe and and how we can um, get the support that sometimes we don't have when we are in another country. So if you want to know more, please follow my social media. I'm going to be sharing more information there. Oh, my gosh. I would love to follow that study. That is amazing. Dr. Caballero, thank you so much, and good luck with that research and study. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I'm Dr. Mary Donahue, and I want to wish you a wonderful holiday weekend. Be well. Thank you.